1: Cook County government is in a position it hasn't seen in a long time. Certainly since I can remember, County Board President Tony Preckwinkle is in the midst of outlining a budget that won't be containing any deep cuts or new or higher taxes, and while the health system's picture isn't as rosy, it's getting stronger, and the county jail population is shrinking. What's going on here? We'll ask the woman at the helm. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest this week is Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle and has ha- often been the case uh, for our conversations. We are in her office at the county building. This is a job she's held for nearly a decade. She was elected the county's first female chief executive in 2010, and she hit the ground running with austerity budgets. Past budget gaps were in the hundreds of millions of dollars. This year, the projected deficit is hovering around $19 million. You won't need uh, higher property taxes or or major belt tightening to close that gap. But we'll talk about what you do need and more during this half hour. And President Preckwinkle, thank you for having me back.
0: Thank you for inviting me, Craig.
1: Well, uh, so let's talk about that budget first. So how do you get to a point in the road where you can balance a budget somewhere other than on the backs of the taxpayers? Uh, Obviously, there's a lot of planning and work that's gone into this, but I gather there's some luck, too.
0: Well, first of all, I want to thank you for inviting me. I am very grateful to be in the position where our budget deficit is projected to be about $19 million. That's out of a $5.9 billion budget. And this is a, a, a significant achievement, and it's a result of hard work over the past decade. Because when we walked in the door in 2010, the budget gap that we had to close was almost half a, half a billion dollars, $487 million. Uh, and it hasn't been a, a, a straight line decline since then, but it clearly each year we had a a a less uh, onerous burden to try to uh, to try to take on. and because of the hard decisions that we've made over the last almost decade, Looking at structural changes rather than one-time fixes, we're now in a position where we have a very modest uh, budget deficit to close. At a time when we've also uh, made significant progress toward meeting our pension obligations, we've made supplemental payments of of more than a billion dollars to our pension funds, and we're we're catching up to uh, to close our, our budget gap, our, our close our our pension. Uh, liabilities, and and I'm I'm very proud of the work that we've done over the last decade, and I'm grateful to our board of commissioners for working so closely with us to achieve this.
1: Um, th- there, I gather, has been some uh, added wind in your sails because of the tax revenue uh, picture. You you've had a, an increase in tax revenues, have you not?
0: Well, we the sales tax came in a little higher than we projected, and and that's been encouraging, and and they. They continue to be strong in in, uh, 2019 as they were in 2018. So, yes, we're we're grateful.
1: Um, What does this newfound uh, uh, solidity uh, allow you to do? I I mean, are there going to be new programs, or will you basically hold the line and just make sure that things don't spiral out of control again?
0: Well— as I said, it hasn't been exactly a straight line reduction from the four hundred eighty seven million dollar gap that we had when we walked in the door but but pretty much and as I said it's it's a result of hard decisions we've made now there there are things that we want to work on over the next uh, over the next four years. The immediate interest of course is in the census. you know we we have to count every single person in Cook County. I think we figure that it's a fourteen hundred dollars a year, fourteen thousand over the decade. Per person that comes to our county in terms of federal resources, and for the state, it's it's 30 billion plus. So we really need to be sure that we count everyone, and and we had the foresight, thanks to Commissioner uh, Stan Moore, to put in place a complete count commission, uh, which has now been um, uh, fully staffed up, and we're in the in the field with a request for proposals for a, an administrator. to to put $2 million out into the community to try to uh, ratchet up uh, awareness of the importance of the census and participation in the census.
1: Uh, How concerned are you, though, that the efforts by uh, President Trump to put a citizenship question on the census, and and efforts that that basically failed, nevertheless uh, scared some people off of participating in the census?
0: I think that was their goal. Uh, Their goal was to minimize participation from immigrant communities. And even though the courts have ruled that they could not proceed with their citizenship question, they've um, created so much anxiety and wariness that I'm afraid that not everyone will understand how important it is that they participate in the census.
1: And I don't think we can emphasize enough for people that the census getting a full count Um, has a lot to do with how the county, how the city and state move forward from this point on.
0: Yes, it's it's critical that people participate in the census. Not only does it mean money, it also means representation in, in the House of Representatives in Washington. And we believe that on the basis of population shifts we're already aware of, that the state of Illinois is going to lose one congressional seat. And we may lose more than one if we don't get a complete count. And last time, when we lost a seat in the last census that that seat was lost in southern Illinois, central and southern Illinois. And we anticipate that this time the seat might be lost in northern Illinois, and that includes, of course, northeastern Illinois where we are. So we we are afraid that we'll lose one congressional seat, and we may lose more than one.
1: Um, I want to turn to another part of the budget. Uh, even though it's a quasi-independent uh, agency, the health and hospital system, Uh, is there and gets money from the county. It's not flush with cash, but anybody who's been around for the uh, recent past knows things are much better than they were in the days when the uh, county hospital sometimes didn't even recover money that it, uh, for what it was doing uh, when it was owed it. So things are better, but they're not as good as they should be. Uh, How is that uh, playing into the big picture as far as the budget is concerned?
0: Well, the health and hospital system is about half of our $5.9 billion budget, and we're very proud of the fact that for 180 years we've taken whoever comes to our door, uh, regardless of their gender or their race or their ethnicity or their ability to pay um, or their documentation status. And that's something that both I and every single one of our commissioners are very proud of. Uh, The health and hospital system, when when I came in, in in 2010, was receiving a taxpayer allocation of uh, $400 million roughly, and the taxpayer allocation in the last budget was a little more than $100 million. And that's a result of the hard work of our hospital team headed by Dr. Jay Shannon and our, our hospital board headed by Hill Hammock. But it's also a reflection of the fact that in the interim, the Affordable Care Act was passed, ACA, and that enabled us to put together a Medicaid expansion program which now serves about 320,000 people in Cook County, people who have health insurance who either never had it before or only had it sporadically with their employment. And those were many of the people that we served anyway, and we served them without compensation. They were charity cases, and now they have insurance. So this has been a, a financial blessing to our health and hospital system, and of course, a blessing to the people who now have health insurance and a Medicaid card. So the, the hospital, the, the medical care environment has been changed by the Affordable Care Act, and we've been able to take advantage of, one of the components of ACA, Medicaid expansion, that's for people 19 to 64, as Medicare is for people 65 and older, um, that provides federal support for health care. And, and as I said, our our residents who previously run insured have benefited, and so has our health and hospital system because we now serve a population where uh, a greater percentage of the folks have health insurance.
1: But there are still some concerns about the... Uh uh, the solidity of the of the system and its finances. Uh, what are the ongoing concerns for the hospital system? And and I know that there's a, an audit that's underway. And what do you expect that to show?
0: Well, the inspector general uh, issued a report about uh, health and hospital system finances, uh, which we don't concur with. And as a result, the health and hospital system has engaged Deloitte, which is a company which will do an independent audit of our finances, and um, we'll share that audit with the public, so it'll be a public document. And I think it should clear up any misunderstandings of, of the fiscal condition of our health and hospital system.
1: But what what do you think this will show? Is this, uh, What kind of a reassuring picture do you expect it to paint?
0: Well, I think it'll show, contrary to the inspector general's report, that we're in good fiscal shape. I think that the, the inspector general um, will find that the Deloitte folks concur with our view that the health and hospital system is on a firm financial footing. And as I said, we'll share that report. It'll be public. So it's not, not something we're, we're going to undertake and then hide the results. It'll be a public document.
1: And I suppose we in the media would be around waiting for it anxiously anyway. File a freedom
0: of information request, I'm sure, (laughs) Craig. We didn't release it. (laughs) Uh,
1: But I want to turn to another issue that's uh, been top of mind for a lot of people, and that is uh, crime and and violence Um, in Cook County in Chicago. um, Obviously, there's been some back and forth. statements and and assertions uh, from the city of Chicago and from uh, you and the county. Mayor Lori Lightfoot says one of the reasons why gun violence persists in Chicago is because the courts are letting too many repeat gun offenders uh, back onto the streets. Uh, You don't uh, share that uh, feeling uh, with her there?
0: Well, it's not borne out by the facts. (laughs) Let Um, me just say, you know... I have been involved in criminal justice reform work since 2010 when I first came in office. We've been working closely with the stakeholders, that is the chief judge, the sheriff, the state's attorney, the public defender, and the clerk of the court uh, since 2013, so now um, almost six years. And the focus of the stakeholders in my office has been trying to make our criminal justice system fairer and more efficient and more effective. And one of the ways in which we've done that is to uh, be sure that those who are accused of nonviolent crimes do not spend the time between their arrest and the disposition of their cases in jail you know there's no reason that someone who's accused of, of shoplifting or low level possession of drugs should be in the jail simply be you know on on that low level charge uh, they're they're not in my view and in, in the in the view of the courts a danger to themselves or the community and and we now have instituted at the request of of the chief judge an assessment tool in our uh, in our courtrooms, our bond courtrooms, that gives judges um, an indication, and it, it looks at factors like how long you've been at your residence, how long you've been employed, um, whether or not you've had previous cases, you know, education level, all kinds of factors, and the judges are informed by that assessment tool, and then of course use their own discretion in deciding bond. And the the chief judge asked the the reminded the bond court judges last fall. Uh, I guess, I'm sorry, two years ago, 2017, to look at carefully those factors as they made uh, decisions about cash bonds. And there's been a dramatic reduction in cash bonds, a dramatic reduction in the jail population, and no increase in violent crime. I mean, what's happened over the last three years is a decline in the number of uh, murders and also in the number of shootings. So as we've seen a decline in violent crime, we've also seen a dramatic decline in the jail population. And less than in the in the year and a half period that ended in March, um, less than one half of one percent of the people who were released on gun related uh charges uh picked up a new charge. So ninety nine percent were compliant.
1: And I think, first off, the overarching intent of n- having low-level uh, nonviolent offenders not be behind bars, I think, is probably shared by just about everybody who is involved in this. Um, the, it, it comes at the edges, it seems, where there are concerns, where people uh, are disputing what, what is and isn't. Um, for well, we've,
0: been, we've been gathering statistics for, for six years now and they have been made public for, I think, the last couple of years. So we were uh, uh, preparing and providing data internally to the stakeholders, and then we started uh, more recently to make that information public. And we uh, take the time to provide uh, comprehensive, contextual uh, information, and we do that publicly on a quarterly basis. And, you know, I'd I'd be interested to know what statistics the, the mayor is referring to uh, she and the superintendent, because we don't have any data that supports their their assertions.
1: Their contention is that part of that assessment tool may not be capturing uh, some serious crimes. Uh, for example, uh, unlawful use of a weapon. Uh, there are different degrees of what that could be. What they're saying is that sometimes people who had a weapon with ill intent don't get Uh, charged with a felony, that UUW, as they like to call it, isn't considered a felony in some cases and that they think those people aren't being counted as felonies but are being let out and maybe shouldn't be?
0: Well, first of all, I I think we have to understand that in many of um, our most challenged neighborhoods in the city and elsewhere in the county, uh, good people carry guns because they're fearful for their safety. Uh, homeowners, business owners who want to protect their homes and their families, people who are afraid to move about in their neighborhoods without a defensive weapon, and the fact that someone has a weapon doesn't mean that they're a shooter or that they're a murderer. Uh, you know, and and, and I, I know it's hard for people who live in communities where they don't deal daily with gunshots and and violence and murders to understand this sometimes, but I think it's an important factor for us to take into consideration. And when we when we talk about violent felonies, uh, you know, we're talking about people who were actually uh, engaged in, in shooting or attempted murder or whatever, not somebody who has a simple possession charge, possession of a, of a gun which isn't registered. And I think there's a big difference between simply possessing a gun and being accused of shooting somebody or being accused of, of murdering or attempting to murder someone with a weapon.
1: Um, I want to come back to this in just a second, but I want to remind our listeners that uh, you are listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and I'm talking with Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle, and we are recording this interview at her office. And again, thank you for that. Um, is it possible that that assessment tool, those algorithms, as some people like to call them, uh, could be looked at to see if there might not be some tweaks that uh, that might capture uh, or readjust who's being considered a threat and who's not.
0: Well, first of all, I you know I'd like to see what statistics the mayor and the superintendent are referring to. Um, we, as I said, publish data quarterly. We make it available to the public. Um, you know, we give ourselves time to properly assess and evaluate and analyze the data before we make it public. It's not, uh, we, we take care <laughs> to be sure that the information that we have, uh, we're disseminating is correct. Uh, I'd like to know, you know, what statistics they have, what they're basing their, their allegations on. I haven't seen any data to support their assertions, and we have data to support our conviction that, as I said, 99% of the people who are arrested on felony uh, gun charges Comply, And it's one half of 1% who are not compliant who pick up a new violent offense in the time that they're waiting the disposition of their previous case.
1: Um, I know uh, when we spoke with you earlier in the week, you suggested that you and uh, Mayor Lightfoot will at some point uh, meet about, I assume, this and some other things. Um uh, first off when is the, what's the timetable for that and i know that the staffs have been in touch
0: the staffs have been in touch and we hope to meet uh, early in september and i would say that you know uh, when i met with her a week before she was sworn in uh, we had some back and forth about this issue around uh, whether or not people who uh, were a danger to the community were in fact being released and i shared with her uh, the information that we had and and told her that we'd brief her uh, we we had a briefing session. She was not able to attend. Uh, so we'll, we'll, have, we'll continue to try to make that effort to share the data that we have with her and her staff.
1: Um, I don't think it's any secret that there have uh, been some tensions uh, between you and, and, and the mayor. Should the public be concerned at what appears to be um, ongoing uh, differences between two of the most powerful leaders in the area?
0: Well, you know, the issue around um, around criminal justice reform is an issue around governance, not politics. And as I said, this is something I've been working on since 2010. And uh, since 2013, with all of the stakeholders around the table, and I think we've made great progress, and that's to the benefit of the communities that are disproportionately impacted by our criminal justice system and the taxpayers as a whole. It doesn't make sense to hold people in jail for nonviolent crimes, which is what we were doing for decades, when we had 10 or 11,000 people in the jail on an average daily basis. Now we have 6,000 people in the jail, um, less than 6,000, roughly 30-plus percent reduction uh, since I came into office. And, I, you know, I think people need to understand that that reduction is good for the communities that are disproportionately impacted by our criminal justice system. That's African-American and Latinx communities. It's good for the taxpayers as a whole because we're not spending $162 a day to keep somebody in jail, you know, for stealing a couple candy bars or a bar of soap or something, um, or having, you know, one or two marijuana cigarettes in their possession. Um, and, the, and that's really the challenge. We need to have a criminal justice system that treats people fairly, that does not discriminate against people on the basis of their income, uh, and frankly, um, we have to do something about the racial disparities that continue to plague our criminal justice system, even as the jail population has declined. Um, about half of the population of Cook County is African American and Latinx, uh, but more than 80% of the people in our jail are black and brown.
1: Uh, And you have said more than once, and I would argue way before you became county board president, that uh, uh, the uh, justice system is the intersection between race and poverty. Exactly. So uh, um, but uh, let's talk about going forward. Uh, You've made it clear that you do not want this to be your last term now. Um, Can you talk about some of the unfinished business that you want to get done uh, from this point onward
0: well we have two legacy obligations that I've I've, I've addressed uh, earlier uh, mm-hmm. in the program one of course is our health care system our health and hospital system now called Cook County Health and the other is criminal justice reform and together they're about eighty to ninety percent of our budget so I usually say if I don't pay attention to uh, to those two things I haven't got my eye on the ball but there are a number of other things that the county's involved in that you know have a real impact on county residents oh, we talked a little earlier about the census You know, in our region, northeastern Illinois, there's tremendous inequality. And and that's not just Cook County, it's entire northeastern Illinois, which is the economic engine of our state. And we have made uh, an effort over the last couple years to look carefully at our programs and activities through an equity lens. And one of the things that we uh, decided is that we needed to put more resources into the south suburbs, because that's the most economically challenged part of our county. And so we've not only invested in infrastructure, but we're also investing in economic development issues, initiatives. We have a South Suburban Economic Growth Initiative, and we're looking at a a development entity for the South Suburbs where there are many small, under-resourced communities to try to see if we could have an economic development strategy for the entire region. And this is a, a, a part of the county where, as I said, we need to make investments to support the existing uh, infrastructure that's there to support the communities that are there. And uh, we've got a lot of work to do if we're going to uh, make an impact. So uh, our South Suburban Economic Growth Initiative is is uh, a high priority going forward, as is our broader uh, equity work.
1: Yeah, and I know within the last couple of weeks, we talked about uh, transportation initiatives that are also going on down there. We had uh, the uh, uh, executive director of Metron with us and uh he said, "There's a lot of a lot of activity going on there."
0: Well, you know, we have a uh, we've been engaged in conversations with Metra around the Metra Electric Line, which is the southeast part of the county, and then the Rock Island Line, which is a, a little bit to the west, but it also serves the Southland and the South suburbs. And we're we're trying to uh, put together a pilot program that would, as you may have read in the Chicago Tribune, that would provide people with uh, basically a fare equivalent to CTA fares if they ride METRA to the city limits in the same way they could if they were on a bus or, or one of our uh, one of our elevated lines um, and then uh, reduced fares in the Southland in the South suburbs as well, reflecting as I said the economic challenges that are faced by this region. and we believe that if we provide more affordable public transportation we'll be assisting people as they attempt to go to work, go to school, uh, visit their doctor or whatever, and that this will be contributing to um, the economic development of the Southland. So we're we're prepared, uh, working with Metro and hopefully CTA, unclear on that latter point, but uh, working with METRA to, to start this three-year pilot program to invest more in public transit for the south side of Chicago and the south suburbs.
1: Um, since we're on the topic of equity, I want to continue that a little bit uh, because uh, something else you talked about this week, well, this weekend... Uh, marks the 100th anniversary of the 1919 Chicago race riots, and there's a lot of activity and observances around that. But you also announced uh, what will be called Racial Equity Week. That's not this week. Uh, when and what is it?
0: Well, you know, one of the things uh, a couple years ago as we talked about, you know, kind of what we were doing in the county and uh, what we needed to be doing. we We looked at the whole issue of where our resources were going and where they were most needed. And as I said, we decided that what we needed to focus on was the south suburbs. And the south suburbs historically were um, a strong, um, had a strong manufacturing base. And of course over the decades as uh, manufacturing has changed in this country, has automated and that's resulted in, in fewer employees. And sometimes uh, firms have moved either to the south or offshore, which resulted in a loss of employment. Um, we decided that we needed, as part of our equity efforts, to focus more on the Southland, and um, that's what we—that's what we're doing. It, as I said, it's part of our equity efforts. Internally, we're trying to look at everything we do through an equity lens, just to be sure that we are doing everything we can to address the inequalities that we find. In the communities that we serve, and in our own work, um, the the week for Equity Week is uh, September sixteenth through twentieth. But we are um, uh, going to be sharing more details about that in in the in the weeks to come. But we wanted to be sure that that this is a focus of not only our employees' um, uh, activities and interests, but also the publics.
1: Um, I would think that there are people who would think uh, every week should be uh, racial equity week. Right. But the way things have been going in this country, um, it's not. Uh, and and how how troubling is it that we are at a stage where you have to make gestures like this to counter what's going on, maybe in Washington, but also, frankly, even in some of our from uh, some of our suburban areas.
0: Well. You know, I'm a history teacher, and um, this is a profoundly disturbing time to me. Not that we haven't, there isn't been um, overt racism uh, in our politics in the past, but to have the President of the United States be a spokesperson for that uh, racism and that hostility to immigrants and uh, disrespect for women, uh, which has uh, been, of course, a challenge to our country from from the very beginnings, um, to have the President of the United States be a champion for, in my view, the sort of worst of our country, uh, is, is discouraging. Um, however, I mean, when you're faced with these kind of challenges, you can sort of, you know, put your head in your sand, or you can decide you're going <laughs> to do everything you can to meet that challenge. And, you know, our, our county, I think, um, to its great credit, has been a sanctuary county for quite some time, and we, in the last few years, have strengthened that sanctuary status by um, formally um, withdrawing any support to immigration and customs, enforce- uh, customs enforcement efforts in our county. We don't, co- we don't collaborate or cooperate with them in any way. Um, and I think that's a, a strong statement about what we believe in terms of, of the importance of immigrants and, Im- and the immigrant communities to our country, um, and you know I, I try personally to to uh, address the latest outrages from our from our president as they uh, as they occur but this is a this is a very challenging time for those of us who believe in inclusion and diversity um, and fair treatment for all of our residents given who we have in the White House
1: and that's going to be the final word we are out of time I wish we had more Um I would like to thank Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle for the hospitality and for uh, taking the time to sit down and chat to our listeners. If you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That's WBBMNewsRadio.com. Just follow the podcast links. You can also find our podcasts on Radio.com. I'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM.